Well, hello. Welcome to the EFTMF1 podcast. Connor McNally with you. You're probably wondering to yourself, why have I got a notification in my podcast inbox about a brand new episode when we are in an off-season in Formula 1? Well, don't panic. There is a very good reason for that, and I will explain why. It is our gift from us to you, to our loyal listeners of this particular podcast, after what has been a crazy 2020, and it continues to be crazy even now with the pandemic Uh, striking the northern beaches of Sydney. So to our loyal fans who are from that particular region of Sydney, who are in lockdown right now, we are thinking of you. Please stay safe. It will get better. I promise you that. We've seen our friends in Melbourne go through the same thing. Let's hope that 2021 will be much better for everyone involved here in this country. Now, as you are well aware, we are massive, massive fans of Daniel Ricciardo and, of course, Formula One. But we've also been cheering on our Australian drivers that have been contesting the FIA Formula Three Championship, which was won successfully by Oscar Piastri. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to catch up to our past episodes, there is a very good interview that Trevor Long did with the man himself just days after he won the championship at that entertaining final round which supported the Tuscan Grand Prix back in September. But of course there were three other drivers other than Oscar that contested the 2020 championship. There was Jack Doohan who of course is the son of multiple MotoGP world champion Mick Doohan. There was Callan Williams the Perth based driver who drove for Jensen Motorsport and impressed quite a few times throughout the year and the last driver in that group comes from Tasmania and is the person in question that we're going to be having a chat to in this particular podcast. He has had a roller coaster couple of years in Formula 3, highlighted by that momentous crash that he had in the sprint race supporting last year's Italian Grand Prix, where he sustained spinal injuries, which thankfully didn't leave him a paraplegic, but put him out for the remainder of 2019. Through that adversity and the long drawn out recovery process, he has come back better and stronger than ever. He had three podium finishes, two third places and a second, as well as claiming two fastest laps to come home 10th overall in the championship and the second best Australian in the field. His achievements have recently been recognised by Motorsport Australia as the recipient of the 2020 edition of the Peter Brock Medal, and he's only just announced in the last few days that he is off to the United States to race in Indy Lights next year for Carlin Racing. The man I'm talking about is Alex Peroni. Alex Peroni, thank you for joining me on the EFTMF1 podcast. Hey, mate. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. First and foremost, congratulations on what has been a, a tremendous season for you, uh, culminating in uh, not only your announcement recently that you're off to Indy Lights in 2021, but also the Peter Brock Medal that you were awarded <clears throat> by Motorsport Australia. I want to start on that. That is a, a massive accomplishment um, given what has happened to you in the last couple of years. You must be pretty proud. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, it was so shocking. Um, it came out of nowhere, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, I really, you never really uh, race for, for those awards, you know, you race for the, tro- for the you know, for the trophies and to, to get a championship. So for something like that to happen was like such a shock, you know, but it was, it was really cool and um, really grateful to everyone who voted for me and um, 
yeah, said my name, I guess. And also um, Bev Brock, I think it is, said some really nice things about me. So, yeah, that was yeah. cool. It, it must feel very comforting to know that the Brock family are in true support of you and your career, given what you've been going through the last couple of years and probably before what happened in Italy a few years ago. We'll touch on that shortly. But the way you've handled yourself in Europe and working through the ranks and, and being successful like you have been this year, that, that's a real vote of confidence by the Brock family. Yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of validation that, you know, you've been doing a good job as well and, um, you know, people are recognising you, so that's cool. Um, and, yeah, for them to even be keeping an eye on me is pretty cool, let alone getting awards. So, yeah, no, I'm pretty grateful for it. Do you have to pinch yourself a little bit when you you look at the names that have won this award, people like Mark Webber, Molly Taylor, Anton Di Basquale, you know, there's mm. some really good names in that list that have won the Peter Brock medal. Do you sometimes think, holy hell, I've, I'm actually sitting with some pretty illustrious company. <laughs> yeah. How have I done that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, no, it, it is really cool. Um, and yeah, I think Craig Lowndes won it as well. Yeah, he has won it. Yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty big idol of mine. So yeah, no, it's cool. And um, yeah, I think it's just a, um, it's just cool to know that people were, were looking out and um, know what I went through, you know. Um, it can feel a bit lonely sometimes when you go through, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So for people to recognize and to appreciate it was, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, you thoroughly deserve. Congratulations from not only myself, but from a lot of Australian race fans who have been supporting you for quite a while now. And look, to be honest with, honest with you, I guess I'm in the, the group of people that really didn't know who you were until that particular incident at Monza <laughs> last year. Um, I, I know it sounds cool for me no, to say no. that, but does it, does it feel nice? Does it feel nice to get a whole new legion of fans that have supported you ever since that particular incident? Um, it's not the way I wanted to do it, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, like it would have been better if I won the race or something. You got yeah. Fans. But um, yeah, look, the support I got from it was like insane. Uh, everyone just, got behind me people I knew people I never met before was you know sending me messages and donating and um yeah including the Australian uh, population so yeah that was going cool. it honestly really really helped me to get through it you know yeah. um to know all those people cared and you know all the messages was good and for all my sponsors and supporters to keep um keep behind me and keep supporting me was also amazing Talk us about the incident. We may as well touch on it. Um, it was a pretty frightening incident. The way you flipped into the air and got caught up in like the catch fencing and everything else. I mean, it was a pretty violent incident. And, you know, when, when you look at, you know, incidents that have happened in recent times, most notably Romain Grosjean at uh, Bahrain, mm. it puts into perspective that things could ha- can change very, very quickly. In, like your life can change almost instantly. So tell us what happened. Yeah, well... It was actually pretty a pretty good race at, at that point. It was probably the race of, of my season. Like I'd, I'd, we were struggling a lot, um, me and Campos. were having a pretty shocking year, to be honest, until that point. And I was running in my best position. I think I was sixth. But another driver in, 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 in front of me, who was in, like in third, I think, had the penalty. So I would have finished probably fifth if I yeah. kept on the road. And, yeah, you know, with these Pirellis, as you know, they just go off a lot during the end of the race, even at a track like Monza, which doesn't have that high degradation. Yeah. And I was just struggling with the rears a little bit and I went wide and I, and you know, that corner is before a long straight. So you don't want to lose momentum. So instead of kind of 
taking off the throttle and trying to take you back on the track, I was like, oh, okay, I'll just keep my boot in it and try and, you know, go across that kind of concrete just outside the track. And, um, yeah, the last thing I remember is literally just looking at seeing it and thinking, oh, shit, <laughs> like, this is not going to be good. It's um, like a, 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 we can swear a little bit in this podcast. So it was like a bit of a oh, fuck moment, really. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. So, <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, I remember saying, oh, maybe I can just go over it. I think I remember. Knowing myself, I think I would have thought that. So, but obviously you saw what happened. And yeah. the next thing I remember is just like, for some reason, a little snapshot of just, me in the fence and then i don't remember anything until the medical center wow so yeah. that's inc- that's incredible and you you actually had a few vo- broken vertebrae as a result of that crash which basically brought your season to an end and meant you missed out on racing at macau which is basically mm. the end of season world cup kind of stuff for formula three not in the same specification of car but the same kind of category um that must have been a bit of a bummer you know having had a, a tough season as it was and then having to sit out the rest of 2019 um knowing that your future was up in the air because of a physical condition yeah definitely that was that was easily the hardest bit of it you know the obviously the the back sucked you know it was painful and it was quite a long um recovery but it was more the man side as you said like knowing that i couldn't race i remember when i got to the hospital i said to that okay can i still race tomorrow is the car right (laughs) back in the car that's the typical attitude that you have isn't it yeah the car wasn't all right uh but yeah, it was just just dealing with that, and you know, ended my season like that. I had a terrible season. I didn't know if that was my career was going to end like that. We didn't know if my supporters were going to come back on board, especially as I said after quite a bad season. So yeah, yeah, it was more dealing with that side of it. And um, yeah, as I say, it can be can get a bit lonely. But luckily, I had amazing support from honestly, kind of the general public public i guess <laughs> it's not it's not just it's not just the general public uh, and particularly the tasmanian public but also you've had great support from the tasmanian government and also blundstone mm. a tasmanian company in itself and they've been tremendous supporters of you over the last few seasons particularly this year they've really backed you yeah yeah they've been bribing with me from the start and everyone's been so loyal to me and, and i think all the sponsors on my car have been with me basically since the start so yeah um yeah it's uh, it's amazing it's we're a really tight-knit group and you know we'll um talk to each other and make decisions all together so it, it's really cool and um yeah as i said for them to keep supporting me is is even now through covid and and everything yeah. is pretty incredible honestly yeah it has been tremendous and i think especially in these uh, very, very interesting times that we're living in sponsorship money is sometimes very hard to come by. Mm. Uh, what has been the, the feedback like from most Australian businesses that you've approached um, those that you've been hoping to get on board and support you in your campaign, other than Blundstone and the Tasmanian government, what's the reaction been like? Um, it's mostly that they're kind of not interested in that segment. Like most of the things we've found is if, the company or the person isn't passionate about motorsport. Mm. It's very hard to um, not convince them to ignite something inside them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in Australia, you know, single seater racing isn't the biggest thing. Um, mm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, I, I want to touch on that shortly, but yeah, continue. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know about it and, you know, 
yes, majority of people know F1, but F3 or even before Formula Renault or F4, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. So it's hard to, you know, otherwise in Europe, it's a lot easier to just approach people and they'll probably know what F3 is and, you know, who you're racing against and everything. It's a, it's a different mentality, isn't it? I mean, Australia mm. uh, has a, like a touring car and sedan type of, type of mentality, which has been that way for a very, very long time. And mm. it's kind of like open wheeler racing has sort of been pushed into the background and has remained that way for a very long time. And we're just lucky at the best of times when we get someone really, really awesome that makes it all the way to Formula One. We've been very mm. blessed with uh, Mark Webber and, of course, Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is a very different mentality. Does that shock you sometimes? Uh, no, not really. Um, and we learned that pretty soon, honestly. Yeah. Um, we learned that was going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just part of it. As you said, you know, everyone's grown up on V8 supercars, and <laughs> um, which is fine, you know, such a cool series and people will all kind of concentrate on that yeah. um, or kind of F1 and anything below that is just kind of fallen by the wayside a bit, but yeah, that's how it is. So that's, that is a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to ask you, um, we'll, we'll touch on your career a little bit. You went straight from karting to overseas and racing open wheelers. You didn't go down the normal path of racing formula Ford or even Formula Three, Australian Formula Three, uh, and you didn't even do Australian Formula Four. With the way the the driver development in Australia is going through Motorsport Australia, do you think the governing body here is doing enough for Australian F one hopefuls in being able to nurture them domestically in open wheelers and and giving them a pathway to go to places like Europe or the United States where they can actually broaden their horizons? I think they are, and I think they were very dis- – to be fair, they had a really good shot at it with that F4 yeah. uh, series, and I think that did hit them hard, to be honest. Um, not that – honestly, not that I know, but just from, just from you know, seeing from the outside like you are a fan, you know, they put a lot into that, and for that mm-hmm. not to work for them was disappointing because I guess that was their aim, you know, to have F4 drivers go to Europe. And to be fair, it did work, you know. For a couple, you know, who did it? Thomas Randall did it. Tom Randall, Lewis Leeds. Lewis um, Leeds. Thomas Maxwell, did he do it? Yeah, I think he did as well. Um, um, I think we also we've had Will Brown go through F4. Will he, Brown. Didn't, he, he didn't go, obviously, to Europe. He's now mm. racing in TCR, now, of course, in supercars. But, yeah, there's, I guess there's, there's an upshot of that, that there are have been some drivers that have gone on to be better drivers since racing in Australian F4, um, which mm. has since fallen by the wayside. So, mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess we have had a few of those, um, you know, successes, but they've been very few and far between. And at the moment, we don't have that pathway at the moment. So where do you think, yeah. they, where do you think Motorsport Australia can go better in that regard? Well, I think, I think they've got a lot on their plate, to be honest. And, you know, them, they're obviously a lot more concentrated on Australia yeah. and, um, getting people from karting to V8s and within Australia, which is, totally makes sense in basically every way. Um, but I think also now, now with the influx lately of June, Australian junior drivers, it's been crazy. Like mm-hmm. not only this, so this year we had four Aussies and then I remember in, in Euro cup in 2017, Australia was the most rem- represented nation in the whole series. And the fact like, is not many, and not many people know that. Yeah, there was, 
the broad the, the, the broad audience wouldn't know what it's all about. Yeah, so there was me, Thomas Maxwell, Lewis Leeds, Thomas Randall, and I think that was it. Oh, there maybe there was one more, but um, yeah. So that's crazy. I mean, Australia, we have what twenty three million population, so yeah. more twenty eight, and um, you know, we're battling against guys in Europe, and we're the most represented nation. So now I think Cam's a son. Sorry, Motorsport Australia. I think people. I think people are still calling it Cam's. It, it's it, it's hard. It's a hard habit to break. Yeah, I think they are trying to see it, and they are seeing the reaction that it is having in Australia. And I think F three got a a lot of um, attention in Australia yeah. this year, from what I've heard. You know, obviously Oscar doing well, um, and Jack doing, and Callum being there, and you know me being able to get a couple podiums, mm. obviously brought the popular um, popularity up in Australia. And you know what Australians like. As soon as they see an Australian do well, they're behind them, which is what I love about Australia. You know, and it they, doesn't matter if they're passionate in the sport or whatever. If they see an Australian doing well, they're behind them. So, and not only have they got behind you, uh, Oscar, but they got behind you as well when you finished three times on the podium this year and got a couple of fastest laps. That's a pretty good season when you consider that. You know, the second half of the season probably wasn't the best for you, but tenth overall, second Australian in the top ten. Um, yeah, that's a pretty decent effort. Yeah. Um, yeah, we wanted more for sure. And <laughs> everyone wants more. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw I saw a post where they put all the average positions of the the top ten through the year. And my yeah. average position was eleventh. So my average position wasn't even scoring points. So if we just had that better consistency, um, you know, to get three podiums in a season is decent. You know, and you think you'd be able to finish around the fifth or sixth, but we had so many bad, bad weekends that that just really killed us in the championship but i'm i'm definitely happy we got those those good results yeah and and also you're up against about 26 other like you and oscar mm. jack and callan we're up against 26 other drivers that are just as hungry in probably one of the most competitive open wheeler categories in the world mm. i mean 30 drivers battling against each other for two races like you're looking at like 15 to 20 laps per race and the level of competition is the the best I've ever seen for an open for a regional open wheeler category. Mm. Did it shock you sometimes of how competitive Formula Three was? To be honest, no. I've been I grew up with all these guys racing against them since karting. Mm. So even the guys in F two. So you know you, we you kind of know know what you're up against and mm. um, dealing with you know the top teams as well. And it's just kind of how it is. I mean, we've been, to be fair, we've all been used to it since karting. I remember in karting, there was like 80 entries for a weekend, right? And, you know, there would be so many that only 30 could race and the rest had to go home. And, you know, it would be so close. And, yeah, we've, been, we've all been used to it our whole lives. So it's not, it's not that shocking. But it, when you make that small, not even an error, when you get something slightly wrong or it's not perfect, you just middle of nowhere because it's 30 drives within a second mm. and you can't really overtake so that's probably the hardest thing about it but um also that's the best thing as well i mean you want to race against the best you want to be against the best guys in the world in the best tracks and prove yourself that's all that's what we all want i don't think anyone will disagree with that so yeah it's a good and a bad thing 
you had a couple of um, you know t- a couple of teammates in the campos team. One of which was Sophie Florsch, who herself went through that massive crash at Macau. Uh, in yeah. the, I think it was in that same year. So for both of you to bounce back the way you did after your respective crashes and to to be competing in Formula Three, that's a pretty decent effort. Did you and Sophie? Um, lean on one another as teammates to you know sort of get you through all the you know the shit storm that you had with your respective crashes nah 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 <laughs> <laughs> nah she's she's a um nah she's cool she's an interesting personality yeah um she doesn't really care about anything i guess you have to when you're you know the only female race against all these guys you probably she's probably copped copped a lot during her career so yeah. she doesn't really care about anything and she just gets along with the job which which i like yeah um and yeah we didn't really chat about it much um but yeah it was a similar accident well, kind of similar and um similar injury as well yeah so yeah um but yeah you you just get along with it and you know it didn't last the the feeling of oh, i've recovered i can race doesn't last long like your next thought is i want to win now and i want to <laughs> get back into it and that and the whole injury thing just kind of goes out the window. Oh, that's fantastic. You were very close to winning a couple of races. Actually, one of the races that Oscar won this year, um, and my phone's just gone off as I was talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll leave that for a little bit as I will continue on. Um, Is that Daniel Ricciardo? No, well, I wish it was Daniel Ricciardo. It's actually Oscar. I might have a bit of a chat with Oscar a little bit later. But, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, we, well, we might as well, uh, uh, might as well drop the ball here. Uh, we're going to try and chat with Oscar Piastri as well uh, as part of the podcast during this off-season. So uh, he's waiting on the line very soon, but he can wait. We're, we're talking to you right now. That's the most important thing. Forget about um, him. Forget about him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't say, how, actually, do you get on well with Oscar? How, how's your relationship with him? Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's good. And to be fair with all those you guys, we're all pretty uh I wouldn't say close, but you know yeah. uh we don't have any anything against each other, you know. Yeah, of course. Oscar, you're you're you... racing for yourself basically. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, like sometimes you want to beat the people from your own nation even more. Yeah. Um but um no, nah, Oscar's good. He's and he, a fair play for him to be um to stay humble as well. He was kind of lucky in a way that he also had um Mark Webber in his corner. Um do you sometimes think that you, you you wish you had someone like Daniel Ricciardo or someone else in your corner like that to sort of guide you along or you're just happy to go at your own pace? Oh, to be fair, um, Mark's helped me in the, um, before in the, in a couple years, like he's helped me with fundraising and just um, kind of helped me with negotiating teams and stuff. And yeah. I've been in contact with Daniel a bit, especially after my accident. So no, they are, they are, they are definitely um, in contact with the younger guys, which is cool, keeping yeah. an eye on us. Um, and, yeah, no, it's cool to have. Now you're looking forward to 2021 and you're looking at IndyCar, or Indy Lights in particular. You've signed with Carlin Racing to race in the United States. It's a massive jump from racing in Formula 3 and racing in Europe, which you have done for quite a number of years now, to go across the Atlantic to the US and try your luck in IndyCar racing. Yeah, it's, it was a huge change, a huge shift in basically every sense of it, you know. New country, new culture, new team, new series, new car, new tracks, new everything. <laughs> so, no, nah, it's going to be cool. I'm really excited for it. Um, and to be like with a team like Carlin, who are, as you know, obviously a top, top, top team in Europe and 
have won Indy Lights previously and they're coming back and, you know, they want to come back with a bang. Yeah. I want to start my career over there with a bang. So everyone's working the same direction and everyone's really keen. Obviously, they've got that car in Indy. They've got that one car in Indy car as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get started. Uh, let me let me ask this question. Uh, do you, is it very much a case that you've gone as far as you could trying to get into Formula One and now you're looking at Indy Lights? When was the moment that you realised that maybe Indy Lights is and IndyCar racing is probably the direction for you to go, given that there's much more career opportunities and probably better longevity racing IndyCar? Yeah, look, F1... F1's a bit of a closed door at the moment. It's very hard to get into. Like, even even if you get second or win the championship, like Isla showed this year, you know, he came second in the championship, was arguably the quickest of the year. Mm, yeah. And he didn't get a seat. And, you know, Nikita got a seat over him because obviously he's bringing money. And even with COVID, it's just even, you know, it's exaggerated now. So, yeah. Yeah, and look, it kind of came obvious when, you know, we got an offer from Carlin and it was just, we just couldn't come up with the funds quick enough. And, you know, we're competing against guys that get this level that just have the budget already there ready um, and even, you know, and even excess even more. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, a, it was a hard, hard way, not a hard decision. How do I say it? You know, to kind of go in a different path was... Um. Yeah, not not sad, but you know, kind of to leave F one alone, you know, a bit hard. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so, I understand. You know, it's not completely over. We'll yeah, we'll see what happens over there. Maybe I'll I'll do a test or something. But yeah, the focus has definitely shifted to America and making my career in America. But you're going into IndyCar or Indy Lights in particular with some pretty good company. There's an, a couple of Aussies and even New Zealanders that have made their mark in IndyCar. You've got obviously Will Power, Brian Briscoe has raced in IndyCar previously, Scott Dixon, who made his mark here in Australia in Formula Holden, then he went on to become one of the most successful drivers in IndyCar in the, in the current generation. And now in recent times, to some extent, Scott McLaughlin, the two-time supercars mm. champion. So you're joining some pretty illustrious company from Australasia that have, that are making their mark in IndyCar. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not just saying this because I'm kind of going that way, but it seems mm. like IndyCar is kind of going from strength to strength here. So like you've got Alonso interested, you've had McLaren in it. Mm. Yeah, you've got people like Scotty coming from Australia, Roger Penske's, you know, kind of going gangbusters over there. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be good. Obviously, I need to concentrate on the Indy Lights and do the best I can yeah. um, next year. And then who knows after that. But, um, yeah, I can't wait. Is there anything different in terms of the car? I know you haven't driven the car as yet and you're yet to do your test with Carlin in regards to um, the 2021 season. But mm. from what you've seen, is there any difference between an Indy Lights car and I guess it's equivalent, would you say, like a Formula 2 car? I'd say it's more similar to an F3. It's slightly yeah. more horsepower and it is slightly lighter. So in theory, that should mean slightly quicker. <laughs> but um, who knows? And it looks like it has a, a bit of downforce. And in fact, I got a message from Devlin, who's, who I'm racing against, Di Francesco, who was also in F3 last year. And I, said, and I sent a message saying, oh, yeah, so is it like the F3 car? He didn't respond, so... <laughs> Maybe that's a sign it is. <laughs> but, um, you nah, look, be coy about it. Been very cool. <laughs> look, most most single seaters you drive in a very similar fashion, you know, with a brake shape and throttle. So yeah, it would, not saying it won't take me t- 
time to get used to. It'll definitely take me some time, but it shouldn't be too much of a challenge. Let's put it that way. What about ovals? Um, you've obviously never driven on the ovals before. It, that's going to be like a whole new challenge for you. Are you prepared for it? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a blunt uh, answer there. <laughs> no. Nah, um, yeah, I've been thinking about it a bit. Um, luckily, there's only one on the calendar and the rest are road circuits or street circuits. So. Yeah. But yeah, not saying, but I obviously really want to go well in oval. And as you know, in IndyCar, half the calendar's oval. So, and it, I think it's it's a different technique. It's it's a different challenge. You know, Alonso couldn't master it at all. Um, so it's, yeah, definitely something I, get, I need to get used to. Hopefully I can practice a little bit in the sim over there. And, um, but no, I'm really excited to try that new form of racing. Mate, you've done exceptionally well to to get as far as you have in europe and it, it's a it takes a very brave man for someone like you to say maybe formula one may not have gone as far as i would have liked but the do- door's not necessarily fully closed so the option's there which is great but it's great that you've taken this opportunity to race an indycar and i can see that you're you're genuinely keen to see how you're going to go over there and as i said before the longevity in indycar probably might be a good thing for you in terms of a long-term career yeah, for sure. Um, as I said, it just it just made more sense, you know. Mm. Even if we found the money for Carlin, and let's say even if I had a mega year and went top three, it's still unlikely to get into F1 and then kind of back to square one a little bit. Yeah. So obviously I would have loved to race in F2 and love to have kept that F1 dream alive. But um, yeah, I think this just makes more sense for us. And um, I wouldn't even call it a down step. I would have called it a side step and... Yeah. Um, Americans think IndyCar's F1 anyway, so right. <laughs> they think they they think bigger is better for them. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So when do you enter the United States? Uh, we're hoping kind of mid latest um, January. Mm-hmm. Obviously, traveling in this in this world situation is super hard and very uncertain. But um, and also have to get a visa as well. We're working on that, which is difficult in these times as well. But we're hoping around then the season starts in March. So bit of testing beforehand and we should be right mate on behalf of everyone that is listening on this podcast uh, most australian race fans are very proud of you just as much as they're proud of daniel ricardo and oscar piastri and mate that smile that uh, that sense of humor of yours is very infectious it's been great <laughs> to have a chat with you i'm loving it and i can see that you're, you're, you're smiling right now and enjoying it have a great christmas congratulations it's been a great joy to talk to you this morning and uh, all the very best for 2021 and congratulations on what you've achieved this far. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me as well. No worries. All the best. Have a good holiday. See you, mate. Well, what an impressive young man Alex Peroni is. You can tell how much winning the Peter Brock medal meant to him and getting the kudos from the Brock family by winning that medal. Such an achievement after what has been a bit of a rollercoaster ride, as I said at the beginning of the podcast in the last couple of years in Formula 3. We await to see what happens when he goes across to America and to Indy Lights in 2021. We will be watching with keen interest here on the EFTM F1 podcast. A huge thank you to Richard King from the DSEG group for help facilitating this interview. And a shout out also to Gerald McDornan, who helped me put me in the right direction to contact Richard and been able to organise the chat with 
with Alex. Appreciate it to you both. Well, that is it for this edition of the EFTMF1 podcast. This little special Christmas edition that we've put together for you. On behalf of Trevor, Harry and myself, we'd like to wish you all a very happy and safe Christmas. Please don't drink and drive. Stay safe. And hopefully we will be back in 2021. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) 